your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914, just like the guy just said on the phone with me now. Uh, from across the state, I believe Adam is in uh, the Milwaukee area. Adam Murphy's running for Senate, one of, I believe, 10 candidates. Even Adam doesn't know exactly how many candidates. And the list changes, you know, it doesn't. it's not like it changes every day, but the list changes enough where I don't know if I see the updated list, you know, from whatever website I want to go to. Um, but you're one of 10 candidates running on the Democratic side for, for office uh, to replace Ron Johnson, who's been, I think he's heading into his third term if he were to win a re-election, uh, even though he said he didn't, he wasn't going to run um, for another term. But um, this isn't going to be a, a Ron bashing show. Um, how, how, well, how are you? <laughs> you know, I, I will say this, we... Uh, for the last 20 minutes, we've been talking on the phone about all the things we're going to talk about. And then I go, Adam, the show is starting, so I'm just going to turn the mic on. And you, we're, we're, here we go. Uh, we've covered already before the show, we've covered inflation, uh, unemployment, uh, gas prices. Uh, here's on my notes. I haven't gotten to you on my notes, Adam. The electric vehicle tax credit. I, I brought that up right before we came on, of course. Uh, Biden approves another $800 million for Ukraine. Um, oh, we did we did cover Trump tariffs, which isn't on anybody's radar. You're, I was like, what are you talking about, Trump's tariffs? That's still a thing. We're doing that. Um, and I didn't clue you in on student loan debt. Is student loan debt something we could talk about as well? Absolutely. Um, okay. Hell, I'm a student at UW-Milwaukee. I can absolutely talk <laughs> okay. about Okay. And, yeah, you're one of those. Are you one, Because you're a non-trad, are we still doing, quote-unquote, non-trad students? You know what that is? Uh, you know I, what I mean? No, I no, like, I'm essentially, you're, you're the old guy in class with 20-year-olds. Well, that is certainly, that is absolutely the case. And I have, I have several times walked in, especially because now everybody knows me for being in a sport coat, where, and, and people have thought that I was a professor, so that's not <laughs> uncommon at all. But I'm actually in my master's program in economics. Um, I actually, in December, got degrees in economics and political science, which was the first time I had degrees in my life, so at 50 years old, after owning a software company for the last 18 years. Uh, when I decided to get into politics a couple of years ago, I decided to go learn things that I thought politicians should know, which, as far as I was concerned, meant economics and political science. And now I'm having a blast with, with in my master's program. So right now I'm doing two classes, uh, one on public policy, uh, which, you know, kind of affects everybody and is something that, good God, every senator should know. Uh, and the other is on economics of health care, where we're talking economics of health, health care, and health insurance. Uh, and it's absolutely fascinating, and, and I'm so excited to be able to share so much of that with people. Yeah, and when when you talk about, we did a podcast some months ago uh, with yeah. William Garcia, the Democratic Party chair. But when this is one of the things you said is when somebody runs for as a politician, especially you know a federal office, uh, political science is an interesting one to understand. I actually feel like that might be the evil way of understanding how we pit each other, pit Democrats and Republicans against each other. I don't know if I want my politicians learning political science because then they're just going to get better at dividing us. Uh, but economics, you said, is like maybe the maybe the one main thing that every politician should have firm knowledge of because almost everything they do has to do with economics, right, or with money, essentially. Absolutely. There is not a decision. If you think about it, there is virtually no decision, no law that's going to be passed, at least at the national level, 
that doesn't affect people economically. Even if we talk about something like abortion, there is economic impacts to that, and let alone when we get into, you know, taxes and tariffs and gas and oil and uh, health care and anything else that we want to talk about. Economics and politics are so completely and utterly intertwined. Um, it, it's just amazing. And I want to say something real quick, I, and I, I totally get your point about uh, politicians not or learning about political science, because I took political psychology and negotiation and persuasion, and, and, I, and I absolutely loved them. But last night at UW-Milwaukee, I was at an event that was Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens, who are two of the most right-wing, radical right-wing uh, pundits out there. And they were, they were having an event at, at UW-Milwaukee. And I, and I attended, and I was, I was flabbergasted. I was offended. And I was impressed. They are really, really good at what they do. And if the Democrats, and politicians in general, but the Democrats in particular, aren't willing to step up and listen to what they're saying and try to understand what they're saying and what methods they're using, then we are absolutely going to fail. And this incredibly powerful right-wing just, I mean, literally, they. one of the things that they said at one point in time was that the U.S. government and the hospital systems deliberately were killing COVID patients in order to make it better for big pharma. That was literally one of the things that they said last night. And if we as Democrats aren't talking about that, and I'll be honest, quite frankly, if we as Republicans aren't talking about that, for those your, your listeners that are out there that are, uh, that are shocked and mortified by what the GOP has, is becoming, if they're not hearing this, if they're not starting to understand what's going on, then, then we're in trouble. And that's why I attend stuff like that. I say I hang out in not safe spaces, but we got to understand that, man. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I haven't heard that one, but the idea that uh, hospitals lie about how somebody died and they just call it COVID because they died of a heart attack, but they call it COVID, so they get the extra COVID federal funding. Um, I hear that one a lot, and I'm like, yeah, the hospitals are really trying to tweak their books because they're not – you know, because they don't, they're not actually going to get in trouble for stuff like that. And it wouldn't be a serious crime and serious right. detriment to them uh, in the long run, you know, for that extra couple, what, a couple hundred bucks. If we just say this guy died of COVID, I don't even know what the, the, the I don't even know if that's a thing, let alone uh, if it's a thing that the federal government, oh, you you had, you had another guy die of COVID and they start making it rain on the hospital like that, the, like right. that's a thing. But uh, what you just said about Owens and Kirk, uh, okay, that's a little, I don't know. I feel like people should be like, okay, that's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But um, I will say this before we go to break. The, the Republican mm-hmm. Party, whole lot better than the Democrats at trigger words, trigger phrases. Uh, CRT rolls right off the tongue. Oh, CRT. Um, socialism is always like the go-to. I, I just, I'll throw this at you. I, I just did a podcast with William a couple, like right before the show, before, a couple uh, hour ago. Um, I threw this at him because we were talking about Wisconsin taxes and I said, if we're going to call, if Republicans are going to call Democrats socialists, which is hilarious because maybe Bernie Sanders, you could say, is a socialist. But I would say Joe right. Biden is a little right of center and everyone else is right of him. Uh, corporatists. We should have a if, if Democrats are socialists, then Republicans are corporatists and they practice corporatism. There you go. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so, I don't uh, know. It's, they use culture war, right? Oh, goodness. There's so many terms that they use, and, and it's just infuriating. But anyway, you said we got to hit break. So yeah, yeah, we got to take a break. <laughs> yeah, Brad's got to do the news. You can think about corporatism if you want to use that. Uh, I'm going to trademark it pretty quick here, though. 
Um, I don't oh, know how to do oh. that. Maybe you know. Um, but we'll be back we'll, after this with Senate candidate Adam Murphy. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 7914 is the talk and text line. Adam, you'll take calls. You want to take calls? I, I do nothing but talk to people. <laughs> right. I absolutely love taking calls. Yeah, I, I, I feel like when I, when I have a candidate on, and I, we, we keep talking about the show, we keep doing the show on hold here uh, during the break. So, um, what we're, well, we were just talking, you know, what we were doing, we were having somewhat unproductive conversation, or I was anyway, with uh, trolling <laughs> legislation. It, it's, 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 uh, Something I think is important to bring up and be like, hey, a lot of this stuff is has nothing to do with everyday people. It's not going to affect you at all. Um, but also, like, it really does get you PO'd, and uh, that's the whole point. But we were talking about uh, minimum wage right before we came. Well, let's go. Let's go to inflation because I think they're all kind of tie into each other. But the idea that uh, inflation is the is you know the the number one thing I think everyone should talk is is talking about. I think maybe healthcare should be something that we you know, as a society should be talking about, I don't understand why not all the politicians leaped onto healthcare and how we didn't even change the system despite million, a million people dying in a pandemic going the last two and a half years. Um, but it's inflation. So, and I can, do, I do a healthcare show all the time, but inflation is the new trigger word and it's all Biden's fault. Uh, right. Is, am I right there? It's all Biden's fault. And, 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 and in my head, it's not inflation. Well, it, there's there's inflation, but corporations are blaming inflation on. Well, well, corporations are blaming inflation on having to pay workers more when they're not actually doing that all that much, and they're making record profits. So, explain to me: Am I wrong in thinking that corporate there's there's is there a gulf here where I'm saying corporations are making record profits? This isn't inflation, or this is actually inflation. Okay, <laughs> so many aspects of this. Oh my goodness. Okay, so. First of all, and we got to go to break. Sorry, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Right, exactly, and we're done. Okay, so first of all, this is not the United States only. Inflation is global right now because of everything that happened and the shutdown for COVID across the world. So we we need to understand that. What sucks about that is it doesn't help. It doesn't make anybody feel any better to know that gas prices in in Europe are three times what they are here in the United States. Right. Because at the end of the day, we're the ones going to the pump, right? We don't care that in France it costs ten bucks a gallon. So it's hard to wrap our heads around that. Is that this is really global? So, so let me give you a real quick example. One of the things that changed dramatically from COVID, right? So we had the, the huge crash. Everybody's working from home. Everything shuts down, um, and then things bounce back up. So one of my favorite websites is FRED, which is the Federal Reserve out of St. Louis. So if people aren't familiar with it, they should definitely go hang out there. So it's FRED, it's the Federal Reserve. And a ton of data. And so here's a really interesting piece of data is that the service industry in the United States makes up 40% of our GDP. Goods is 60%, right? And of course, services we know got crushed during COVID, right? Nobody was going on vacation. Nobody was going to hotels. Nobody was going to restaurants, all that. Goods kind of you know, fell as well initially, but bounced back pretty quick, right? We, we bought out everybody from toilet, all the toilet paper was gone. Um, everybody was making sourdough at home, and you couldn't get yeast. So here's, here's the numbers from in comparison to February of 2020 to, to right now. Services are up, finally, 5.8% from their peak in February of 2020, 5.8% two years later. Goods are up 42%. 
since their peak in February 2020. So we have had a massive, massive shift in what we're buying globally, right? That's just U.S. numbers, but this is globally. And our supply system got completely, well, not completely shut down, but got pretty dramatically shut down over COVID. So we have this massive drop in our ability to supply. And now we've had in two years a 42% increase in durable goods. That's insane. Now, some of that comes from, uh, you know, people didn't spend money over 2020. Some of that comes from there was additional money that was put in the system, right, the, the $1,200 stimulus checks and stuff like that. But the other thing that happened over the course of COVID is that savings rates increased from 8% to 16%. So, because, again, we couldn't spend money. So all of these things combined to make things now more expensive because there's significantly more demand, but there's demand in an area that grew and expanded beyond anything that we could have expected. When, uh, if you remember back a few months ago, uh, there was all the, the, the ports where, uh, you know, there were tankers, or not tankers, there were, there were shipping con- uh, containers out waiting to be offloaded and stuff like that. Yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit on the show one time. Yep. Right, right. So there was this huge, huge issue. Um, that traffic, that transatlantic and transpacific traffic is up 20%. That's insane is there, over the course of a couple, a is, couple of years. Is there a case to this when, when you say uh, goods were – it's up 40 percent. I remember the exact term you said. Uh, yeah, 42. 42 percent. And we don't want to change the system to, to even that out. Like, oh, okay, we're, we're beyond our means, 42 percent. We can't keep up. Okay, well, we got to revamp, we got to revamp this system. We got to put in – you know, we got to – the right. infrastructure there, because eventually that 42% is going to come back down to, to, to level, and then we've invested all this stuff exactly. to keep it at, four, right? So nobody wants to do that either, so we're, we're just going to, we're going to push through this? Correct, and that's the thing with economics is that we almost always, not always, but almost always, return to the norm, right? Sometimes we won't, and we might not with this one, right? We might stay higher on goods and lower on services, and things have changed potentially structurally. We'll, we'll see. But normally we return to the mean, so you're absolutely right. Corporations don't want to necessarily spend uh, – I'll, I'll use uh, – we were talking milk, so I'm going to use a milk example real quick. When uh, the school shut down because of COVID, there was a whole lot less demand for milk in small, the small cartons, right, that, that the kids get at school. Yeah. But there was a huge increase in the demand for milk at home because parents were staying at home and kids were staying at home. Except that parents don't buy the little cartons at milk, uh, of milk at home. They, they buy, you know, half gallons or gallons. Well, if you were in a grocery store and you saw the shelves, they were empty of milk. And it's like, well, why? We have the same number of people, the same number of kids, the same amount of milk, right? Except that the production lines weren't designed to switch over from small cartons uh, or the ones that, you know, McDonald's and Wendy's give you if you order a milk there, because I'm always ordering milk, um, to gallons. The production lines weren't designed for it, and they couldn't just easily switch that over without massive expense. And then, of course, the idea is the kids are going to go back to school, so then there's going to be a massive expense to switch back. So you're absolutely right in that we are, in general, very short-sighted, right? We want things to change now. And as much as corporations look at quarterly taxes and quarterly profits and all that stuff, when it comes to production, they have to think long-term. And what they have to realize, and what they had to realize then, is, is that they weren't, it didn't make sense for them to switch over and, and you know, do a bunch of gallon jugs because of the cost that it was going to be. And that's the same thing that we're dealing with all of the supply systems throughout, and again, 
internationally. It's not just here in the United States. We had, uh, uh, oh, shoot, do I have the numbers? Uh, I don't have it. Well, you look. I'm going to do this quick. We're speaking with Adam Murphy. He's one of 10 candidates <laughs> running right. for U.S. Senate. He's one of 10, 10 Democrats looking to upseat Ron Johnson here in the Wisconsin. Uh, we'll gloss over the fact that you go to Wendy's, and we'll gloss over the fact that instead of getting a, sh- a shake or a soda, you get a, a little... <laughs> paper thing of milk one of those you know the triangle you gotta you gotta open the triangle. you never can do that i don't know how are you at opening that triangle or have they changed it where it's plastic on the top it's pretty much plastic i will say this i'm actually a huge shake fan and and uh when i hit cops here in uh, milwaukee it's always uh, a chocolate shake made with chocolate custard so it's you know an extra (laughs) squeeze of chocolate in there so but (laughs) i am a huge milk fan i'm I, i wholly admit i go through a ton of milk (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do that, and then I don't, and then I try not to for a while, because sometimes I just get a bad gallon of milk, and I get put off, because oh, yeah. it tastes funny, and then and, uh, and then I go back to it, because I'm uh, addicted to Nesquik, as bad as, as I feel about Nestle. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so I don't, you know, we could weave this conversation into, we got about two and a half minutes here. Is that a lo- enough okay. time to fix minimum wage, maximum wage? Uh, CEO salary cap minimum wage. <laughs> okay. First of all, it should have it should have been over fifteen already. It should be close to twenty two to twenty four, which, by the way, is what I pay my people uh, in my in my campaign because that's what they should be paid. But the other thing that needs to happen is that we need to tie it, we need to get politicians out of it. We need to tie it to um, to inflation uh, in the same way that we have Social Security tied to inflation. Right? It should be the same formula, which gets politicians out of it. We should bump it up, and I know it's going to take time to do because we can't go from 725 to 22 in a heartbeat. But we should absolutely increase it, and then we should turn around. So what should happen is probably for the next five to ten years, it should be tied to inflation plus in order to get us to the, the point that we should be. And then from then on, it should absolutely just be tied to CPI so everybody knows it, everybody expects it, there's no surprises, and that politicians are not involved. I feel like Minnesota's minimum wage is tied to inflation. It's around 11 right now. Um, I'm, I haven't dug into this yet, but I am curious how that's going to to, to increase with uh, the way inflation is increasing. Um, it's yeah, just something I haven't. In it too. I think they're going to be looking at a six or seven percent increase, something like that. Yeah, that might. That's that's incredible. When you when you say the minimum wage, what did, did you say? It should be like twenty four dollars, right? Yeah. Um, yeah right and then now, and right then now. and then you we had kept up with wage. Well, let's just go to like the the shoemaker on Main Street, who's got you know like he's 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 laughing at you. He's I can't pay my worker twenty four dollars an hour. I'll never be. I can't maintain my business. Then what do you say to those people? Okay, and again, this is where I say first of all, this is where we should have been, and we would have to do it slowly because if we had kept up with things when when Reagan was in office, minimum wage was three thirty five. Um, in 40 years, we've gone up from 335 to 725 or 735. It's terrible. Um, so that's part of the problem. So can we jump to it immediately? No. But let me give you an example. If we take somebody that goes, we increase, uh, I'll use McDonald's because that's, uh, that's the one everybody says, right? We, you know, why, why do kids need to make, make more? Well, first of all, the average age at McDonald's is like 24 to 28 years old. And people used to actually be able to raise their family working at McDonald's. So and that was actually the point of it. Um, but if we had, if you look at McDonald's, the, um, the labor, um, shoot, and I'm losing my, my words. Here. I would say uh, McDonald's is a bad example because they're a corporation that makes billions of dollars. You never no, see the drive through no, no, line. No, 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 they're not. That doesn't, what, what McDonald's corporate makes doesn't have anything to do with, well, with what people get paid, um, at the franchise. Okay. The franchises are privately owned. Okay. So those, 
Those have nothing to do with each other. So you take the people that are working at your McDonald's down the road that are making 12 bucks an hour, and we bump them to 15. That's a 25% increase, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot. Holy crap, that's clearly going to make massive inflationary problems. Here's the thing. Right now, um, in 2019, 42% of the employees in, in the nation made less than $15 an hour. 42%. So people say it's, it's, you know, it's teenagers. No, it's not. 42% of employees made less than 15 Now, it's down to like 20%, so that's way better, and that's because wages have been coming up. But take the person making 12 bump them up to 15 so it's a 25% increase. At McDonald's, where their cost of labor is about 20%, so... Um, you know, they've got everything else that goes into owning and running that McDonald's, all the food and, and, you know, electricity and stuff like that. None of that is affected. Their cost of labor is about 20%. So that 25% at the end of the day would ha- require adding about 6% to the cost of that Big Mac. So if you're going through the drive-thru and you're getting a Big Mac and your fries and you with my milk or you with your chocolate shake, <laughs> and you're spending, you know, $8.68, it goes to $9.15. Right, and that's what it has. They turn around, and that's inflation. You're absolutely right. That's inflation. But it's not everywhere. Because, again, right now, only, and we're down to 20%, only 20% of people make less than $15 an hour. So it's not everybody getting it. And then the next thing that people say is, well, you know, why should they get 15 and I'm only getting 15 Well, quite frankly, if you're only getting 15 you should probably be making a whole hell of a lot more as well. So it's the race to the bottom that happens, and it happens so easily, and in particular with small businesses. That's why I tell small business owners when I work with them to charge more. That's literally the first thing I tell them, is because if they want to take care of their employees, and if they want to have really good employees that are going to take care of their customers, they've got to pay them better or have better health care for them and you know work boots for them if they're in the constructions like you and I were talking. And that makes more loyal customer, more loyal employees, which makes a better employee scenario for your customers. And at the end of the day, it actually makes you more money as the business owner. Don't even get, don't even get me started on tying healthcare to my job. <laughs> I don't even start. Anyway, we got to take another but quick healthcare, break. Healthcare should not be tied. To <laughs> right. We got to take another, another break. Scott's comment coming up. Brad doing the news. We'll be back with more from Adam Murphy's one of 10 Democrats running for U S Senate, trying to take Ron Johnson's seat. When we come back. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM, 608-785-7914. Speaking with Adam Murphy, he's a Senate candidate here in Wisconsin, a U.S. Senate candidate looking to uh, take Ron Johnson's seat. He's one of 10 Democrats uh, doing this. And Okay, Adam, just in, in terms of campaigning, um, how, do you, how do you get your name out there? You know, I'm just thinking like town hall sounds great unless nobody shows up. So how do you how do you get yourself uh, you know your name out there so people are like oh you know what I like this guy I like what he's saying because ten candidates you got to separate yourself. We're doing uh, that nobody else is doing and it's where we're having a, a great time is I'm on TikTok, which I know sounds ridiculous right because that's where you know young kids hang out. Yeah, uh, what kind of dances are you doing on there? Right, right. <laughs> the type of dance that I'm doing is I've got 125 videos out there. Eight of them talk about inflation. I talk about, uh, let me give you just a bizarre example. I did a series on game theory and the GOP tax cuts. What's the first thing? What theory? Game theory. G-A-I-N? No, G-A-M-E. Oh, game. Game theory. Okay. Game theory. Sorry. Cell phone's not in the... No, that's fine. So, game theory 
uh, which is a part of economics and math and stuff like that, and, and an analysis of, oh, actually, one of the ones I did, so it was the infrastructure bill, right, that passed uh, back in 2021. So the infrastructure bill, Mitch McConnell and Game Theory, and half a million people watched it for free. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay a dime. So what we're doing is that we're engaging with people. And the other thing that I do is that I respond to people. Um, so most candidates spend several hours a day on what's called call time. So they are calling people on a list asking for money. And most of the time, the people on that list are friendly, right? We get a list of, of arguably Democratic for us or Republican if you're uh, in the GOP of donors. And you call them up and you beg for money. And the problem with that. Uh, other than it's just, you know, ridiculous and we all think that money's a problem in politics, is that you're talking to people that are already going to vote for you. Yeah. Right? So I spend several hours a day responding to people on social media, ask, answering their questions, delving into topics like inflation and minimum wage and health care and economics and anything that they want to ask me. Well, I did a whole series talking about propane, which probably affects you guys out in, in the western part of Wisconsin way more than it does me here. I think that's how I heat my house, LP. Right. So I had done a series talking about oil and gas, and somebody asked me, well, what about propane? And I'm like, um, I use it for my grill, right? But that's as much as I know about it. So I had my research team, and again, who I pay really well, delve into it to tell me, you know, so that I could learn about propane. And one of the ways that propane is created is, is that it's a byproduct of making gasoline. So when we uh, refine oil into gas, one of the byproducts is propane. So over COVID, you said you use LP. Great. When over COVID, your price of propane probably went up, or it certainly didn't go down with gas prices, right? Mm, yep. Right. And the question is, why? Well, because it's a byproduct of making gasoline, and we're making significantly less gasoline. Well, the demand for propane didn't go down. You still needed to heat your house. So the demand was still there. 50, 59, making 50, as much of it. 59 so, degrees, Adam. I keep my house at 59 degrees. <laughs> I do not. Uh, <laughs> but for people that were using propane to heat their homes, the prices didn't go down, even though gas prices went down and oil prices went down, and it didn't because supply went down. And so, consequently, prices stayed up. And then, of course, as prices went up, well, or for oil, of course, that also meant that the prices of propane didn't go down. So you guys got screwed in both directions. And now you've got Democrats like myself out there going, hey, we need to get off of oil or we need to have significantly less oil. But here's the repercussion that none of the Democrats will talk about, is that if we want to go green, right, and I'm all for it. I've got geothermal for my house here, and I'm looking at putting solar panels in my office. Right? I drive a battery-powered uh, Mustang. But if we want to go green, that means that we've got to consider western Wisconsin where they're using propane, because if we're suddenly using significantly less oil, making significantly less gas, that means your propane prices are going to skyrocket, which is going to suck. Yeah. So we need to understand that, recognize it, and try to figure out what we can do to help the energy grid and to put, you know, whether it's solar or wind or geothermal or whatever is going to make sense, or nuclear, or, right, if we're going to stick with natural gas, whatever it is we need to do for western and rural parts of Wisconsin that rely on LP, otherwise we're going to screw them. Or we've got to have some sort of subsidies or something like that. Well, I was going to say, can, but, we right, take we, all, can we take the billions and billions of dollars? Maybe it's trillion. I have no idea. The money doesn't, like, we don't even care about how many zeros and commas are in these dollar figures anymore that we use to subsidize these oil companies, can we just give that to people that own houses or own buildings that need to heat them? 
and everyone you get a geothermal unit you get it do you like do the oprah thing like you get one you get one <laughs> i don't know well 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 I, I i can talk about subsidizing oil and that we really truly really don't subsidize oil but that's a whole different animal um and i know again the democrats love to talk about it and the economics of it is, is they're wrong um fair enough but you know worldwide globally does it happen absolutely when you know russia of course a terrific example saudi arabia stuff like that but can we? Absolutely. You and I were talking about the $7,500 tax cut for vehicles, right, for electric vehicles, and the possibility uh, BBB wanted to push it up to 12500 okay. Yeah, well, first of all, let's let's gloss over the fact that you're calling the Mach-E a Mustang, and I know Ford is doing that, too, and it's a nice little tactic to sell Mach-E's, and I like the Mach-E. I'm kind of jealous that you have one. Not a Mustang. I know I mean, It probably has some zip to it, but not a Mustang. That, that's that's fair. I am not a Mustang purist. This is my first Ford. Um, you know, I drive a Jeep. Um, so, but but I get it. There's a lot of people that are upset about it. You're talking to a you're talking to a kid that at one point in his childhood, his parents had along with his brother who was 16. I think we had 24 cars, and probably 20 of them were Fords. So yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So I'll I'll just bring it up. The electric vehicle. I've been looking at this. I I, I have a Honda Civic. It gets 40 miles a gallon. That's why I bought it, and it it looks sharp too. I like it. Uh, and then the Mach E came out, and I and being a kid that grew up with Ford, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." The Mach E costs, if I want a the long range one, right? I don't want the Mach E costs uh, fifty five thousand dollars, I think, yep. but I can get a yep. tax credit of seventy five hundred dollars, which brings it down to like forty. And I don't even know how the tax credit works. I'm just going to pretend it brings it down to forty seven thousand five hundred dollars. I don't know if it works it really exactly like that. But yeah, um, no, it's it, you just get a check. Right, but for a guy like me, $55,000 for a car is ridiculous. $48,000 for a car, also ridiculous. I can buy three of my Civics, or I could, not anymore, but I could buy three of my Civics before the pandemic for that same price. Um, So when I see a $7,500 tax credit for electric vehicles, I'm like, oh, that's for guys that are making $100,000 plus a year. I don't, you know, like I'm just, I'm picking on $100,000 plus a year, guys. But, uh, you know, guys that can afford $55,000 for a car, and then they get a free $7,500 tax credit that they don't actually need. Why, why don't we just go, anyone making under fifty grand gets the tax credit, and everyone making over, or increment it by percentages, you know, you know, by 10%, every 10% of your salary, or you know, jump, jump the salary by $10,000, and that adds a percent to what you get off or decreases a percent. And we never do that, but the $7,500 is just a rich guy tax break for EVs. It- it, it, it is. It is encouraged additional growth. Right? And I'm sorry um, that so I just instance, called you the rich. And I'm sorry that I just called you the rich guy who, who took the EV that's tax okay. break. But okay, <laughs> that's, that's okay. I got the EV tax break, right? I'm I'm not Sarah Goodlisty and Alex Lazary, but I've owned a software company for 18 years. We do okay. Yeah. Um, what it had, what it did is that, and like, if you paid attention to Tesla, the first vehicles that Tesla put out were 100, 120 thousand dollars, right? The really high end vehicles. And then they put out the next ones at 75 and the next ones at 50. And, you know, then for a while they were down in the 30s. And I think they've gotten rid of that model. Um, for the yeah, the, the, oh, those $30,000 ones, you had to pull them back and then they would go forward. Like. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And not great for Wisconsin either. My Mustang, sorry, my Mach-E, don't want to call it a Mustang. <laughs> my Mach-E, um, Ford's got, an, I don't know if it's an issue with the battery packs, but in cold, we lose about uh, 30% of the battery life. Um, so whereas normally I had a 300-mile range over the winter, it was about eh, 220 to 200 to 220. Um, and that's actually one of the worst ones. A lot of the other, a lot of the other EVs are, are much better. But what it comes down to is, is that we've got 
you know, infrastructure issues if we're going to go this way. We're going to have to have battery issues. But all of that is getting better. I've got an article in, right in front of me from Motor Trend, I think it is, and talking about what Chevy is doing and Ford is, is you know, both of those are going all electric within the next 10 years or so. And the price per kilowatt hour for batteries in EVs has dropped 90% since 2010 when, when Chevy came out with, like, the Bolt and Nissan was doing the Leaf and stuff like that. So we've dropped 90%, which is incredible, and we've probably got another 90% to go to make these really feasible. But the technology is getting so much better. And that's where those tax credits come into play is, is that it, it helped build the industry. Now, Ford and GM, now they're looking and they're going to be dropping, I think the numbers are something like $30 billion each. All right. Do they necessarily need the tax credits? I don't think so. Should we put them on lower-priced vehicles? I always agree with that. Yeah, um, and, and and the idea of, of burying it, I agree with that with so much. And we've got the technology to be able to do it, right? It's easy math nowadays for the computers to do. That wasn't the case even 20 years ago. Yeah, I feel like when, when I see the $7,500 uh, tax credit when I buy an EV, that the companies are just jacking up their price by about $7,400. <laughs> so, that's, I mean, that's entirely possible. Right, I mean, because it just it goes to anyone. They didn't make any money in the U.S., but they're making money in China. So, I don't know. Um, um, John, John's texting in. So, John has a couple of, of texts here. Um, we were talking... Okay. Well, let's, let's just bring the... So, he first of all, he says, where does the power come from? This isn't part of the conversation that we're having, but, uh, you know, you have to charge an EV, so uh, yeah. it obviously isn't running on gasoline. And my, my reply to him was, the, the power comes from something that pollutes less than an internal combustion engine. That's why we're transferring to EVs. How we get to the EV itself, but you know, you know, do you? I, I, you're, where does the power come from? You know, I'm making you an EV expert now. Um, well, I've got different options. So the solar that I'm looking at putting in, they're going to put in a direct charge for us uh, that'll charge the EV. So that just comes right from it. And yeah, when we look at um, you know, even even if we're dealing with coal and natural gas uh, power plants, they're still more efficient than, than a combustion engine. So the level of efficiency is dramatic. Uh, for perspective, my Mach-E for a full charge uh, costs 12 bucks right. for 300 miles. 300 miles, um, unless it's winter. To do that same thing, right, to do that same thing, and, and that's uh, the all-wheel drive version. Uh, so, you know, kind of to, to compare it apples to apples, it's an all-wheel drive 350-horse equivalent. Do that in the same, uh, you know, 5-liter V8 uh, in, a, in a Mustang that going to be 350 horse as well uh and that's taking premium and that is going to cost you 80 bucks right and you can and i I hate how uh ev companies or or sales sales companies do this they they put the price per gallon just to compare because it's always 100 miles per gallon or something around there and you could see it right there oh i'm getting 100 miles equivalent per gallon and with an ev it's it's right right there on every sticker um but they never say they never say like uh like what the how many miles each car gets or, or or thereabouts that's never that's a little harder to find right yeah and so that's the math on mine and i'm right. always happy to share that is i've done the math yeah it literally cost me 12 bucks to charge up you know for 300 miles and i've got a jeep grand cherokee and uh that gets about eh, 16 to 18 so do the math and and you know and again it depends on gas price and stuff but and then solar and wind has become uh let me let me do my math correctly on this one so that I'm not mistaking things. Um, natural gas is number one. Solar and wind renewables are actually the number two energy producer in the country now. They have surpassed coal. Um, 
And was that, is that total, or was that for one day? I saw that story, and it was like one day solar and wind. Be- well, that oh. was that was that was wind specifically. Okay, that was wind specifically. Um, solar has bypassed it a while ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, but the other cool thing with solar is, is that it's actually cheaper to create a whole new solar plant now than it is to create a natural gas plant. So they've reached an equilibrium, which means that it's only going to get better from here because. We can't burn gas any more efficiently. Natural gas can't burn it any more efficiently than we do. Right? We get as much energy out of it as we can. We only get about 20 to 22% out of solar right now. If that bumps even by 5%, right, we go from 20 to 25%. That is a 25% increase in the amount of energy that is being produced. Um, so as the technology continues to improve, that's the other thing. That's why I'm looking at putting in my office the, the um the return on investment in it is like eight years, and they're 25-year solar panels. Okay, if I can get electricity for 17 years for, for, for free, why would I not? So that's where the money, the government should be putting its money. If we're going to talk about getting you guys off of LP out in, in western Wisconsin. Well, I'm in great. eastern Minnesota, but I'm in rural Minnesota okay. as well. Every every house, I'm in a little community, but we all have big LP tanks outside our homes, like yeah. giant, you know, grill tanks, but they're j- just giant. Yep. Yeah, they're huge. And... And we had problems with supply where people weren't able to get it because uh, we were talking about that earlier where the, the supply dropped dramatically. So we had problems with, with supply issues. The sun always shines. Even if the sun isn't always shining, we turn around, we improve better. You're talking about EVs. One of the super cool things with EVs, and I know they're talking about doing it in California as part of the grid, is uh, I knew the Ford Lightning uh, is doing this, and I think, uh, I don't remember if it's Volvo, uh, one of them is also doing it, where your EV can charge, can power your house if the, if the power goes out. So they're actually, we're now capable with some creativity of making our electric vehicles part of the backup battery supply system for power in our power grid. That's incredible, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm a geek, so it's, I, I it's, get off on that stuff. I, I, right? So I'm getting, I'm getting some texts, and I've only got a couple of minutes here. First of okay. all, John texted in again. He said, California is telling consumers to stop charging their cars because they're having brownouts. Uh, I can't find a story about that, so I don't know what news station you're watching and you see that. Um, and then somebody just texted in this, is that solar during the nighttime? So the, the, the idea that we've tricked an entire society into thinking that solar power, which the sun just, it's free, uh, you know, there's no capitalism there. Once you get the, the infrastructure going, uh, the only capitalism would be to replacing the solar panels or getting the solar panels so efficient that you don't have to replace them, what, every five or ten years or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, but we've tricked a lot of society into thinking, God, we can't be on solar. There's no sun at night. Right, right. It's uh, First of all, the ones I'm looking at putting in are 25-year um, and still at, like, 80% performance. Um, and, 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 yes, of course, the sun doesn't shine at night. We know that. And this is where storage becomes critical. This is where battery technology becomes critical. And his comment about charging EVs and creating brownouts wouldn't entirely surprise me, quite frankly, depending on when they're charging things. And that's part of the part of the part of the structure that we've got to consider. Because being on oil, here's uh, let me throw this out for the conservatives that think that we need to be on oil, right, or that we need to drill more oil. Because I hear this a lot. Mm-hmm. This is a national security issue, folks. This is a national security issue. I don't, if you don't want to talk green energy, cool. I think green energy is terrific. I think it's great for jobs. I love the technology. I'm a geek. But if you want to talk about why we need to get off of oil and you're conservative, it is because of national security. It is because of what we just saw and went through with Russia right now. Right? You don't want oil from Russia. You don't want oil from countries that hate the United States. Cool. The problem if we're going to 
to try to drill more and take more out of the United States is that U.S. oil costs over twice what it costs to get the same oil out of Saudi Arabia. So it's going to cost us more if we're going to do it here. So the smart thing to do is to use less, which means that we've got to do other green technologies, which only have the ability to improve. Oil and gas, we can't burn any more efficiently. (laughs) All right, So so let's do things that we can do more efficiently. And then our national security is so much better because then we're no longer reliant on Russia or Canada or Saudi Arabia or Mexico, where we get 30% of our imports from. Yeah, well, at at what point are we going to charge for the sun? At what point are we going to do that? We'll have a little curtain and, you know, that Mr. Capitalism will just close the curtain on the sun during the day sometimes because we're making too much free energy. Um, Adam, if that, would, if, if that would cool the earth a little bit, that might not be a bad thing, right? <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to go uh, greenhouse gas right now. Uh, climate change. All right. Adam Murphy is one of 10 Democrats running for U.S. Senate looking to take Ron Johnson. All right, Adam, the best way, you know, I know you said you're on TikTok. Um, you know, any social media, if they want to shoot you a comment on social media, you'll likely or somebody will likely be able to get back to you to them. Absolutely. And, and most of the time it's me. Um, so they can catch us on Facebook. They can catch us on Twitter, um, TikTok. Those are the three primary ones. It's all Murphy 4WI. So Murphy F-O-R-W-I. The website as well. I've got a ton of videos up on our website. If you, uh, and if you're not on TikTok, I said I've got 125 videos. We've moved them and copied them all over onto YouTube where we can put them into uh, playlists and stuff. So if you want to know what I actually really think about oil, We've got a whole series on oil and on gas and on inflation and stuff like that. Go over to YouTube, search for Murphy 4WI, so Murphy F-O-R-W-I. All right. We've got all of it there. And ask us questions because that's what I do is I like to get back to people. I think it's a lot more fun, quite frankly, as a politician than begging for money. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us, man. Hey, Rick, I appreciate it. Anytime. Bye.